Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is essential is invisible to the eye. In this episode, Eckhart jokes with a live audience about a video game that's been reviewed in the New York Times. He wonders if his work could be having an impact on mainstream culture after all, because the name of the game is Stillness. <laughs> that's really funny. He goes on to answer questions about such topics as trusting our feelings and how to eliminate conflict in our lives, especially when the opinions of others differ from our own. His answers may surprise you. I get the, the newspaper delivered to my hotel room, and when I looked at the front page of the New York Times this morning, I thought, something weird happening. It's not about fake news. <laughs> Has our gathering manifested an alternate reality line, stream, that's just a speculative thought. <laughs> An article on the front page of the New York Times about a video game, the object of which is stillness. On the front page of the New York Times, why would they... We must have had an effect on the collective consciousness to make this happen. I'll just read a few lines to you. The game is called Walden, the video game based on Thoreau's 19th century retreat in Massachusetts, will urge players to collect arrowheads, cast their fishing poles in the tranquil pond, perhaps even jot notes in the journal, all while listening to music, natural sounds, and excerpts from the author's meditations. The lead designer came up with the idea as a way to reinforce our connection to the natural world and to challenge our hurried culture. The object of the game is simple, stillness. Thoreau was sitting in a moment when life was beginning to speed up and he identified that, asking, are our lives better because we now live on railroad time? We have to ask ourselves the same question today. Are our lives better because we live on internet time? Good, things are changing. <laughs> Some questions that people have sent in. Can we trust our feelings? Are you able to say something about intuition, which is not the same but interests me as well? Can we trust our feelings? Now often you hear people say, trust your feelings. I would 
suggest, however, that that's not necessarily true. Acknowledge your feelings, yes. Be there as the observing presence for your feelings, yes. Be aware of your feelings, accept that they are there. Trust, which means to take them to be the truth or the truth for you or using them as a guide to correct or skillful action that may be doubtful because it depends where these feelings arise in you. A little anecdote from my life to illustrate that. When I lived in England, in the country, in that alternative town, Glastonbury, for three years, I lived in a cottage and once a month I would travel to London or other cities in my beloved Russian-made Lada car uh, to do a workshop and usually a weekend workshop called things like Transcending Time or Be Here Now, nothing much has changed <laughs> except that my, the average number of people I had was about 10 and since my income was not enough, I had to rent out a room upstairs in my cottage. I advertised in the local paper. Uh, several people came to apply and, and finally chose a young woman who had just been offered a job in that town. She came, she moved in, and after the first night in her room, she came down for breakfast into the kitchen, which was a shared kitchen, and she said, I can't stay here. I said, what's wrong? I just, I just, it's just a feeling. I always listen to my feelings. I just, I just can't stay it. There's something not right. So I was very nervous. And uh, I said, okay, that's fine. And that she found that very disconcerting because she had a, expected a more conventional response, <laughs> which would have been, what? I've interviewed all these people. I've chosen you. And now what, you're doing this to me? You're not getting your rent money back that you paid in advance. But I said, okay, I'll give you your money back, it's fine. So she was even more confused after that. <laughs> and I said, he said, I'll spend one more night or two more nights. She spent the second night. And then in the morning she said, no, I think I'll stay. <laughs> I have a different feeling now. And I said, oh, that's fine, that's good. And again, she was a little disconcerted because the conventional response would have been, which I did do, I just put another ad in the paper <laughs> and now you're telling me this? The conventional responses are how to make life complicated for yourself and others. But it's normal, it's how the ego responds. And so whenever somebody does not respond in that way, life becomes simple. But when life becomes simple, people who expect the conventional responses become confused. What? This is a weird person. <laughs> and so she decided to stay. And a few weeks later, when I got to know her better, she explained to me that the, that first night she was in her bedroom and she said, I found you so weird that I, th I thought you might creep in in the middle of the night and murder me. And 
And later she said, living in the same house with you is like living in a float tank. <laughs> I think she learned a lot, not so much through me explaining things to her, just by being there. So feelings. Now, where did her initial feelings that she experienced, that she, that she then believed that they were a correct guide for action? Of course, they were not, because they originated in fear. And they also originated in a misinterpretation of reality, which is so easy to do for the mind, to misinterpret another person, to misinterpret a situation, you misinterpret because you see it through the conditioning of your mind. You see it through your beliefs, your prior experiences in childhood. You see it through even other things that have conditioned your mind. Maybe even scary movies about weird people who don't say much. And then just when you're having a shower, they creep in. <laughs> Therefore, it's not that easy often to, to say, where does this feeling that I have arise? Where does this feeling originate? Now, does it come from a deeper, the intuitive place? The intuition comes out of being present. Intuition does not come out of the conditioning of your mind. So if you have an intuition, also it is usually not tainted by negativity such as anger or fear. So there is something certain about it that there is a quiet strength behind your feeling, a quiet strength. There's not a nervous energy behind your feeling. <laughs> you just know this is right. You may not be able to explain to yourself or others why. As a different quality. There's a more a peaceful quality to it. Through life experience, you have to find out for yourself what a deeper feeling that comes out of presence and is, is a true intuition, how it is different from something that arises from the conditioning of your mind. Now, a lot of the time, people misinterpret reality because they look at reality through the veil of their conditioning. And that, that contributes to a huge amount of conflict in life, in relationships, and so on. And not only they misinterpret, they add this what I call unnecessary baggage to situations through their reactivity, which is an ego device in order to strengthen the ego's always deficient sense of identity. So coming back again to that story, what had happened, if I had reacted in the normal way, becoming angry and accusing her when she said after one night she couldn't stay. And that, that would have strengthened 
it would have come from my ego, it would have strengthened my sense of self, the separate sense of self, and again, the, if the reaction had been when she finally decided to, after the second night, decided to stay, I could have again said, I've, now I've just spent, I mean, it wasn't that much an ad in the local paper, it was relatively cheap, but the ego would have dwelt on that and said, now I've spent that, and all these people that already said they couldn't come, now they, ha they have already found accommodation. I would have again made somebody wrong, and the ego loves that, to make somebody wrong, because when you make somebody wrong, and you would be, the ego could even explain, you're totally justified, because that's not fair, the person shouldn't just change like that. But instead of saying how people should be, if you just, this is what is, you can either accept it or you cannot. I could have said also, in practical terms, that when she, after the second night she said, I've decided to stay, I could have said, oh, it's too late, I've already had found somebody else, or I said, no, it may be, maybe it's better if you do go, because tomorrow night you might again, after tomorrow you might again not want to stay. All these things are possible, but the situation remained simple because of non-reactivity. And this applies to so many cases, whenever things go, do not go smoothly because a person does not do what they're supposed to do, and then immediately the ego constructs a narrative, and you know it when you start telling other people about it, it strengthens it. So I could have picked up the phone and said, you know, I had this, this girl, I, I rejected five other people for her, know what she's done to me, and listen and tell the story. It's so satisfying to the ego. And then the person on the, at the other end says, oh my God, you start to... <laughs> and then, of course, I could have gone into thinking, oh, maybe she's, she's totally neurotic, maybe she's a psycho. All <laughs> spinning tails in the head, all kinds of things. There's a whole fictitious narratives that are taken for reality. And that's how simple things can actually be if you don't add unnecessary reactivity to it. But in order to do that, it requires you to be present, not to be there as a person, because a person feels easily offended. Vigilance is required in your interactions with people. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Always the question, am I adding something to the interaction that is unnecessary, that is just there 
to strengthen my fictitious sense of self, to justify some, to make somebody wrong, big thing for the ego. Because if I can make something wrong, there's always an element of victimhood. When I make somebody wrong, in relation to myself, there's always an element of, it may not be the main focal point, but there's an element of me being the victim if I make you wrong. And the ego loves that because it strengthens itself through that. And if I make somebody wrong, you know what he said and what, what he did then? I'll, let me tell you about this. Wow, oh, how can somebody do something like that? And this means unconsciously, I'm always superior to the other when this happens. When you're telling the story about what somebody did and said to you, you do it because the ego, when you're telling, when you're making somebody wrong, because when you are right. Now, you, you probably all know people in your life, when they tell you things, it's always others who are wrong. It's never them. <laughs> it's very strange. Why is it that I'm always right and others are always wrong? They never ask that question. <laughs> but that is a mystery of, of human existence. One of the great mysteries of life is why I'm always right and others are always wrong. <laughs> I think philosophers haven't explored yet in detail enough and nobody has resolved this mystery. And everybody should ask themselves, how is that? I must be really superior to everybody. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so if you think back, the last year or two or three in your life, well, I'm actually talking to a group of people here who are more, much more conscious than the average human, but nevertheless, even here, some of you may find, if you look back the last few years, that whenever there was some kind of argument or conflict, perhaps it was, was it always the others who were wrong? It's very easy to deny somebody's perspective if it conflicts with your own and make them totally wrong. You can also make a group of people totally wrong, an entire group, an entire nation, an entire religion. You can make everybody wrong. It's great, feel stronger, morally superior. Now, does that mean there are not people who are deeply wrong because they might be, there may be people out to deceive you? You might go and buy, buy a second-hand car and the person is so friendly and kind and he, he sells you something that just breaks down the next day and you, it's clearly lied to you, what do you do then? And even then it's important not to amplify what has happened by going into your mind and creating a whole string of narratives in your mind of what an awful person that is, and coming to all kinds of conclusions about that, and tell the story to yourself and to others and amplify it in that way, and then you go back to him and, and then you, you tell him really what you think of him. Rather than keep it simple, what, what action can I take to remedy this? Even if you go to court, you can do it in a detached way. I'm not necessarily saying never do, do anything, just put up with anything and anybody. It's just, that's not what it means. Even if you go to court in order to rectify a situation that is obviously 
wrong, you can do it in a way that is detached and just keeps it to the, just the essentials of the situation, practical, without the whole superstructure of you are the evil one, you are wrong. So you can practice that in many, many situations in your life. Refrain from calling up people or telling up people what other people and tell them about what other people did wrong or how they failed, how they were deficient, how somebody lied to you, was dishonest or expressed an objectionable opinion. And then conflict becomes almost eliminated from your life or 90% of it. We have uh, some related questions, so I answer them as one. How do you suggest one find balance and maintain presence regarding current political issues and situations that seem so dangerous to freedom and humane policies, both for our presence and when interfacing with others? How to deal with that within ourselves and when relating to others? And one or two similar questions, for example, any tips for how I can be a good citizen who does her part to stand against social and environmental injustice while simultaneously staying true to my own awakening and my need for tranquility? What I've been talking about just now, and this, this there's a relationship. When you communicate with others, let's say about political situation or whatever it may be. We communicate verbally or in writing or just have a monologue in your head. People have monologues in their head. This is normal. The important thing to avoid so that ego doesn't come in is again to, to make other human beings wrong. To make wrong who they are. I'm not talking about what they do but to make wrong who they are, there is a difference. You can criticize what a person says or does, but if you then use whatever this person says or does and say that is his or her identity, then you've created an enemy in your mind and that is a dangerous uh, thing to do because it strengthens the unconsciousness in the collective energy field and produces a corresponding reactive effect in the other and then there's a mutual strengthening of that and that leads to huge conflict and you get more and more trapped in your ego and in being right. So if you can take action and communicate, take action without having your sense of self invested in it so that you point out your perspective, you explain it, you substantiate it, you illustrate it, this is how I see it, this is how the situation is, this is what we need to do or be careful of. All this is fine. You can attack another person's point of view or perspective without attacking who that person is. You attack it by showing that it is not right and presenting an alternative so that your communication is not just pointing out what in your view is wrong, but also suggesting an alternative so that there is the, the positive and negative both coming in. It's extremely satisfying to the ego 
to make people wrong and entire groups of people wrong. So you have to be careful with that. The prerequisite for being able to do that is that you need to, and here we come again to the foundation for it all, for conscious living and conscious doing, the foundation is that you derive your sense of identity from that deeper place of consciousness, of presence. You are the awareness. You are not the thought. The thought is fine. But if there is self-seeking in the thought structures, that means you are identified with your thoughts, which being identified with your thoughts means seeking your sense of self in those thoughts. So when, then when you present your opinion or your viewpoint, you are so identified with it that anybody who even questions, not even attack, anybody who questions your viewpoint or perspective, and this is unconscious, deeply unconscious, ego, anybody who questions your perspective or viewpoint, which you don't know is a perspective or viewpoint, to you it is the absolute truth, because you are identified with the thought, anybody who questions it will be regarded as somebody who is attacking who you are. He is actually an enemy, your enemy. And this is the essence of unconsciousness, to be identified completely with your mental positions. But how can you not be identified with your mental positions if you have never known that deeper place within yourself where your true identity resides. So if you tell somebody, don't be identified with your mental positions and your thoughts, your perspectives, your viewpoint, don't mistake them for the absolute truth. They don't know what you're talking about and they can't do, what do you mean? That's all there is. So the foundation for being able to use your mind consciously instead of being used by your mind, which is the essence of unconsciousness, the foundation for that is find out who you are in the essence of your being. And that is here and now, the consciousness that you are, the awareness, the presence. That's what's left when right now you don't remember your history. Right now, you don't remember even your name. Unless I ask you, you're not thinking your name. No, okay. So you can be yourself without remembering your name. And if I don't ask you about your history, right at this moment, you probably don't remember any of your personal history. Unless you go there, you have to retrieve it in your mind. But you don't need it now. Now, does it mean you cannot be yourself now? Does it mean... If you don't remember your telephone number and your email address and your personal history, you can't be yourself. No. These are just things that are added on to you. But even without remembering any of these things, I don't remember my email address, I don't remember my name, I don't remember my history even. But and here I am sitting and perceiving. Can you feel yourself? Can you feel the essence of, of you right now without the memory of you? Yes, in fact, you can feel it more strongly, but you cannot define what exactly that is. You can sense 
this inherent presence that you are. And you can sense it, and that inherent presence is the same whether you are a huge success story in the eyes of the world, you are a big VIP and a celebrity, there may be one or two here, not that it makes much difference here, or you may be somebody who has failed in everything that he or she has done, a failed career, three failed marriages, many other failed relationships, bankruptcy, gone to prison, then come out of prison, then gone back into prison, made a mess of the whole thing, total failure, and yet in the moment of not remembering your history, that sense of presence is exactly the same as that sense of presence of the VIP who has a big success story. That is the, the unconditioned consciousness, the presence that frees you from your personality and your person and also connects you to a much vaster intelligence, the, the intelligence that underlies the entire creation that is behind everything, the organizing principle behind the physical universe, the intelligence that gradually expresses itself more and more into this world. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. The light, I call it the light of the source, like the sun, the sun shines its light into this world. The sun is the source of the light. Now the source of the world, we could call, if God means anything, then God is the source of all life. And of course, the source of all life has no location in space or time, obviously it's not somewhere in the universe God lives. God is transcendent to the universe. It is the source. God is the source of all life in the same way that the sun is the source of all light. And so the relationship between your consciousness, which is not your consciousness, it is universal consciousness expressing itself through you, the relationship between that consciousness that you are and the source is the same as the sun and the sunlight. So the consciousness in you is the light of the source or God, shine. The source itself you cannot know. It is totally beyond anything that you could possibly even understand or think about. And yet, you are inseparable part of it in the same way that this ray of sunlight is an inseparable part still of the sun. And yet, the ray of sunlight 
would be both right and not right in saying, I am the sun. If the ray of sunlight says, I am the sun, in one way it is true, but in another way it is not true because the sun is so much vaster than the, the ray of sunlight and yet it is an emanation of the sun and it is eternally connected to the sun. It is always one with the sun. So that, as you know, there have been mystics in various traditions. In Sufism, for example, it's not uncommon. Mystics have said suddenly they realized after they went through their dancing, the mind stopped completely and presence arose. And of course, they lived very simply. And they came to that realization of their essence identity. And then they said, to others who did not have the realization of their essence identity, they said, I am God, I realized it now, I'm God. This was not well received. <laughs> and many of them did not survive for long after that. So I, I don't recommend it either, but although you probably won't get killed, but uh, they will send you to someone, to see someone, and, and be given some pills. So that is the foundation, is to know who you are. Then you can use your mind in a way that is, that is actually very effective, but it's no longer egoic, no longer in the service of ego, it no longer becomes the ego. The unobserved mind is the ego, the human ego. It's just the mind, it does what it does, and you think you are it. <laughs> So the, the foundation for it all is consciousness. Becoming conscious here and now. Conscious of what? Usually when you read about consciousness in normal discourse, it's always raising consciousness. You read about it in newspapers and so on. They talk about raising consciousness. But it's always raising consciousness about what? So it could be raising consciousness about the environment. It's a good thing to raise consciousness about, yes. Raising consciousness about certain political situations, raising consciousness about certain injustices here and there. All, it's all very good. But more fundamental is raising consciousness, period. Not talking about raising consciousness of something that comes secondary, secondary. Raising consciousness of consciousness. Be aware that you are aware. Be aware of awareness. Then that is the light of God, if you're comfortable with that terminology. That is the light of God in you. And that is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, you are the light of the world. The difference between a person like Jesus and somebody, the people he was talking to was he fully realized his essence identity and the others didn't yet fully realize their essence identity. And yet their destiny is to also realize their essence identity. Now, in our mainstream culture and science, of course, they will tell you, well, first of all, we have examined the brain. We know quite a bit about the brain. 
but in reality we know very, very little. Scientists don't even know what a thought, what is a thought, what is the material, physical representation of a thought in the brain. Nobody knows. What is the relationship between thought, between the physical brain and consciousness? Mainstream science will tell you that most of them, there are few who are beginning to doubt that the mainstream narrative it will tell you that consciousness, if they even mention the word, most of the time they don't even talk about it because they have no idea what it is and you can't examine it under a microscope. And when you cut open the brain, you will not find consciousness. In fact, when you cut open the brain, you will not find nothing of you. 99% of who you are is invisible. It, it, it does not exist in the physical realm only your physical body, but who you are, your thoughts, your emotions, and the underlying consciousness, it's all invisible. There's a lovely, I believe it is, in a, a little work of literature, there's a beautiful phrase, what is essential is invisible to the eye. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Beautiful and very, very true, but that means all the things that are essential for in, in human life, of course, love, joy, a sense of aliveness, all your emotions, all your thoughts, they are invisible to the eye. Consciousness is invisible to the eye, which means you cannot find it with your senses. You can't see it or touch it. So the big question about consciousness is what is the relationship between the physical brain and consciousness? Undoubtedly, there is a relationship. There's no doubt about that. If you hurt the physical brain, you will lose consciousness. That's a conventional expression. As I often say, if a brick falls on my head, hopefully by saying it, I'm not manifesting it right now. <laughs> if a brick falls on my head, I, I will not be able to continue to speak. Is that proof that consciousness is produced by the brain? Many people will tell you that that is proof that consciousness is produced by the brain and the conventional expression is consciousness is a byproduct or an epiphenomenon of the chemical soup in the brain. Many scientists actually deny that there is, consciousness even exists. I don't know where they're going with that, because to be, to, to be denied, to deny that consciousness exists, you need to have consciousness. <laughs> and they, they, they don't want to go there because it's so unknown, they realize they, they cannot dissect it. So it's better to leave it alone and to say, only we live, still live in a materialistic age. Materialism in its philosophical and deeper meaning doesn't mean that you're interested in money. Materialism in the deeper meaning means that you believe that physical matter, that everything in this world can be explained with reference to physical matter. Atoms, molecules, and basically matter. Of course, if you go more deeply into physics, materialism disappears because you realize that matter is a kind of illusion. There is no matter. If you go deep into the atomic structure and beyond, you realize 
this nothing, this what I perceive as matter is just rapid movements of atoms and molecules giving me the illusion that this is matter and the same in my body. Ultimately, there is no matter. And yet, there's still within conventional science the belief that the universe is matter. It can be explained with reference to matter. And so, does the brain produce consciousness? The other possibility is that the brain receives consciousness and channels consciousness into a particular form that then creates your experience of the world and creates you. That consciousness is the organizing principle behind the formation of the brain in the same way that a radio or a television does not produce the program that you watch, I can destroy the television set that happens to be showing an orchestra playing the Ninth Symphony, and then I destroy it. Have I destroyed the Ninth Symphony? No, it's no longer transmitting, it's no, no longer functioning as a receiver. And science will come to that realization, and there are already some scientists who have enough courage to question conventional interpretations, and it's usually scientists uh, who are approaching retirement age, <laughs> because before reaching retirement age, it would be too destructive for their career to go outside the mainstream interpretation. But, but once you reach retirement, you've got nothing to lose. You can speak out, and so that's a good thing. So the, the greatest mystery in the entire universe is not the infinity of space, or magnificent as that is, or the infinity of subatomic space, the macrocosm and the microcosm. That's mysterious enough and we know little about it. But the greatest mystery of all is the fact that the universe is conscious that is so incredible. The universe is conscious. How do I know that? Well, it, it's self-evident. I'm conscious. If I'm conscious, it means the universe is conscious. So, that is the, the self-evident thing. The one thing that you cannot question, the one thing is, is beyond doubt about you and me, is that you are conscious. All the rest could be an illusion or a dream that you are having right now, that we are actually in this room, somebody's talking and saying, maybe you're dreaming, that could be a dream. You could be dreaming your whole life. And there's a way one could even say that you are being dreamt by the universal consciousness, that the entire universe that we experience is a dream that, that happens within the universal consciousness. You might be dreaming, but even if you're dreaming, there's a consciousness needed for the dream to happen in. And so that's the very foundation for who you are, is consciousness. Your essence identity is timeless, and you cannot analyze it, you cannot know it, in the same way that you know an object. 
Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Uh, Jesus used the word kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God to refer to it. What that is, is consciousness. Kingdom of heaven. Heaven is sky. And sky used is an analogy for vast spaciousness. So it's a wonderfully adequate and suitable analogy for spaciousness, formless consciousness itself. So that's why Jesus used sky. The dimension, the kingdom of heaven is the dimension of spaciousness, formless consciousness, timeless consciousness. And where is it? The kingdom of heaven is within you. In the midst of you, there are various translations. Now what does that mean when he says, you cannot say, oh, there it is, or oh, it's over there. It means the kingdom of heaven cannot become an object to your consciousness. You can't say, there it is. Because if you're looking for the kingdom of heaven, <laughs> as people have they've projected mentally what kingdom of heaven is, although he said, don't look for it. He said, oh, it's going to come when we die, or it's, it's up there somewhere, because he used the analogy of sky. So traditionally, people who have misunderstood, they think it's kingdom of heaven must be up there somewhere. That's for sure. And, and since it's not here now, probably when we die, we go there and up there. If you're looking for the kingdom of heaven or you're looking for God, it's like, a, like you're shining a light and you say, where, where is it? I'm looking, for, I'm looking for myself, I'm looking for God, I'm looking for the kingdom of heaven. It's not here. Okay, let's look somewhere else. No. And you can look in time. Maybe, maybe it's in the future, it's in the past. No. It's not there. It seems to be nowhere. But the, what you have, where you haven't looked is that beam of light that with which you are looking emanates from the kingdom of heaven. It emanates from the source. It is an emanation of the source. And you were looking for the source. And you were using the emanation of the source to look for the source <laughs> out there. But you have to, what you have to do is then stop looking and place your attention back in, go, go back, back where, the, where the emanation comes from. Oh, oh, that's it. There it is. I am it. I was looking for it. And now I realize that I am it. I was looking for myself. But in all the wrong places. So truly people who are looking for God, they're really looking for themselves. And they're looking for themselves in the wrong places. If we say kingdom of heaven, that sounds a bit more inspiring. Wow, kingdom of heaven. <laughs> On the other hand, 
it's very easy for you to project and completely misunderstand what that means. So it's so inspiring that it creates a mental concept or mental image. Whereas Kingdom of Heaven is, is totally beyond any mental concept or mental image. So the very thing that was meant to point you beyond any mental images, that's why he used heaven, spaciousness, formlessness, the very thing that was meant to point beyond it is then misused by your mind in its attempt to form mental concepts and images. So you use the signpost that says there and say, oh, I have it. So this, on the signpost it says, kingdom of heaven, that way. <laughs> well, that way. Kingdom of heaven, that way. And then you pick up the signpost and says, I got it. <laughs> I got it. I completely believe in this signpost. <laughs> but this is just to, to be aware of this, the light of consciousness in you, that's the foundation for sanity in this world and for bringing about a different world here. And only then can you be free of the egoic mind and instead of being used by your mind and mistaking it for who you are, your mind can be in the service of that greater consciousness that can flow through you and that's called inspiration. You can inspire, you can speak in an inspired way, you can produce something in an inspired way, you're inspired to come up with a new idea for new creativity. It, it is also an emanation that comes through you that affects people around you, even if you don't say anything. Consciousness. There's a perennial question that comes up again and again and again. And it seems to be important to many people and it seems to, to present a dilemma to people. You talk about being present and trying to quiet our thinking and stories we attach to what is in front of us. I want to know how do we do this and still plan for the future? That's the perennial question. How to be present and still plan for the future? Well, quite simply, you plan for the future in the present moment. You say, what do I want to do next year? Okay, you take a calendar, schedule and say, I have to do this. People come and say, what do you want to do next? Where do you want to go? We've got an invitation to go there and there and there next year. Then I look at the calendar, look what, where, where are these places? How many places can I go to on this trip? And then look, but it's all in the present moment. So that does not mean that I'm losing the present moment. But if I put this aside then, and then go into seeing myself traveling to this new country, let's say I'm going to Russia for the first time in September, and that's great. But if I, if I spend day thinking about me in Russia, and what's, what will happen there, and seeking some kind of thinking, oh, that'll be really great, or 
oh, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Are they going to like me there? And how am I going to get a good translator while I talk? What if they completely misunderstand me? What about the political situation in Russia? I'm not sure about that. Will there be a, or projecting some kind of fulfillment? When I get there, that'll be really great. Who knows it'll be great or not great. Um, that is losing yourself, going off, but making plans is fine. Projecting, there's an interesting thing that people are very interested in. I don't know if there's enough time to address it now, but how to manifest things. Let's say you, when you are present, it may be that a vision comes to you, something you want to create or achieve. I'm going to set up a whatever. Well, if you're here, perhaps I'm going to set up a, a healing center. Okay, this is just, it came to me. I'm going to, and then you can, the essence of manifestation, which I don't often talk about because I talk about more fundamental things, but there is a, manifestation is a wonderful thing if it comes not as an ego need to, to find some kind of pseudo-fulfillment, but from a deeper place, and then you can actually visualize having a healing center in some detail and feel, but as a, in a controlled setting for 10 minutes, I can feel that it's already there and it feels wonderful. But really what feels wonderful is your presence now. And if you bring a mental image into the presence now that feels wonderful and you bring the two together, that's the power behind manifestation. It doesn't mean that you need to achieve this image in order to be fulfilled or happy because you're already fulfilled and happy now in that presence. Presence is the foundation for your fulfillment and happiness. And if you hold that presence and then you bring an image into it and mix the two together, then that is the play of manifestation. You do not desperately need something to happen so that you can finally find some kind of fulfillment in this life. When I have this healing center, then I'll really, I feel I will have achieved something. No, that's postponing and, uh, and thinking something in the future is going to do something for you and make you feel more complete. You need to come from completeness already. Then manifestation is a game a beautiful game that the universe plays. It's the game of form. So you are present, then you have a mental image, and it won't be egoic because when you are present, the ego subsides. If you then have an image, it's something that the universe wants to create through you, and that's a beautiful thing. And then you bring the image and the presence that you sense together. That means as Jesus put it, he only made one or two comments about how to manifest. It says, when you pray for something, feel that you already have it, and then it'll be given to you. That's the secret of manifestation, but you can only feel that you have him through presence. Presence is already the fulfillment of everything that you could possibly want. But doesn't doesn't mean you, you no longer manifest or create anything. The universe delights in creation and creativity. And it will delight in creation and creativity through you. It can also create without you, but th there are certain things that, that you are required for. So you bring the mental image 
and the sense of intense presence together. And that will produce the feeling that it's already there. Whatever it is you want to create is already there. And you feel the same satisfaction that you would feel as if it were already. In fact, when you do get it, when you will feel exactly the same as you do now. <laughs> and that's the, that's the secret behind manifestation. And then just, you just hold that image in addition. You may have to take some action. You cannot just sit in your room and not move. No, that time may come when humans are more advanced as a species. It may well be that you can manifest instantly. Of course, you won't need a healing center anymore then. <laughs> you can manifest instantly the few things that you might still need. They pop up. In the meantime, however, you just create whatever wants to be created through you by bringing presence and the mental image together and sense the intense aliveness that's there. And then you take action. If you hold that image several times, then you will also find yourself taking action towards it, inspired action, without thinking, without ever going into stress about it. Never stress. The moment stress arises, ego has crept in. Intensity, yes, but no stress. Huge difference between intensity, which is very joyful, and stress, which is not joyful. So that's the secret. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Eckhart Tolle, Essential Teachings, the podcast. You can follow these essential teachings on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you haven't yet, go to Spotify and follow this podcast. Join us next week for more enlightened teachings from Eckhart Tolle. Thank you for listening. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, Cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.